You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. Hi, and welcome back to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. This is episode 31, Protein, a Macronutrient for Recovery. This week, I really want to talk about the ins and outs of this macronutrient called protein. We talk about it a lot, not only in the nutrition world, but also in popular culture. And I think there's a lot of misconception and a lot of myths surrounding this macronutrient, not only about how much to get and what sources to get it from, but also what it actually does in the systems that it's involved in, because it's a lot more than just healthy musculature, which gets talked about a lot. It also has major implications on things like insulin and mitochondrial health and how the mitochondria produce ATP. So we're going to get into some of these topics and we're going to flush them out a little bit more and try to develop a clearer understanding of what protein is actually doing to the different tissues and systems of your body. So what's protein? Protein is one of the three macronutrients. So you have protein, fats, and carbohydrates. They're essential to the body to keep metabolism going. Protein has the same energy value as carbohydrates. So it has four kilocalories per gram, whereas something like fat, that has nine. So fat is a very, very dense energy source. But protein's not bad. I mean, four kilocalories per gram isn't bad. And protein is kind of like the workhorse for every tissue and cell in your body. So Every single thing has a protein aspect to it. Protein, remember, is just a combination, a chain of amino acids that your genome is coding for. And I've talked quite a bit about this in other episodes, but essentially when your genes are coding, they're coding for amino acids that then fold together in specific structures to form proteins. And depending on the structure, that regulates their function. So depending on the structure and the form of it, it will go to something like a quad muscle. If it's structured a different way, it'll go to the heart. So really the folding becomes very, very important. And then how the cell utilizes that is it uncouples it, it denatures it. So it kind of unfolds it and unravels it to utilize those amino acids for energy. And really that's important in mitochondrial health and function. Because again, the mitochondria are the power plants of your cell. They're the, the little batteries that keep things charged up and going. And mitochondria need protein. They need protein synthesis and breakdown to stay optimal. So if you have a diet that is really limited in the amount of protein, you'll see massive consequences. Your heart can stop. Your hair will stop growing and fall out. Fingernails will become, you know, brittle and stop growing. Um, and eventually you'll die. So this is a very, very important nutrient for the body. I mean, it literally is involved in everything your body does. But if you were to just survive off of protein, you'll actually starve to death because you need carbohydrates and you need fats. Those are the other two essential macronutrients. This is why we juggle the combination of these three in different types of fad diets and things because your body utilizes all three of them. So you can always play with ratios and, you know, limit protein, but increase carbohydrates or limit carbs and spike fats and proteins, right? Your body can alter its metabolism based on what ratio of essential macronutrients are coming in, but it needs all three. So there's an interesting thing that happens if you 
just try to survive off of protein and you don't have enough fat and carbs is you'll actually starve. What happens is anytime you have basically nothing but really lean meat, so say something like um, venison or rabbits are probably a really good example of this. If all you ate was rabbit stew for eight, nine, ten months, whatever it was, you your body would literally start to starve to death. You would have huge impacts on your kidneys and your renal organs because your body can't process all that protein. It's too much. It's too much without fat and carbohydrates. And so it becomes a burden on the cells. So it's a balance, just like anything else. You need all three. The Arctic explorer Stephenson documented this phenomenon of what he called rabbit starvation. And it was these Arctic explorers up in Canada basically only had access to rabbits at certain points of the year, and some of them would die. Some of them would go blind, um, again, go into renal failure. And they realized it was just because it was a lack of fat. You can live without carbohydrates for a lot longer, but if you don't have fat to mix with the proteins, because the cell walls are essentially fat, they're made up of mostly fat, and it becomes a a bit of a steroid issue. So if you don't have enough cholesterol coming into your diet, then your body can't make steroids and it can't have tissue repair. And that happens a lot. Um, so if you're only surviving off a of protein um, via rabbits in the Arctic, then um, you can absolutely die from that. And it's a real phenomenon. There are ways to counteract that, you know, bone broths, things like that. Um, even if you get a little bit of plants in or a little bit of fat, you will survive. You may not be the healthiest. You may be some, you know, have some pretty bad malnutrition, but you can definitely survive. So again, you can spike these three macronutrients up and down depending on environment and needs and survive. But the question is, are you going to be optimal, really? You know, it's one thing in a survival situation. It's another in this day and age when we don't really have to worry about that as much. So... I really want to get into what are our actual protein needs to kind of optimize, again, not only, you know, muscle turnover and things like that, kind of pre or post exercise, but also energetically, so mitochondrially and how it works with insulin and ATP production. In the bodybuilding world, protein is kind of like God. That's why there's such a market for protein supplements. I mean, millions of pounds of protein powders are sold every year. You know, there's massive jugs of whey protein, casein, all sorts of kind of milk derivative proteins that are reduced down into a powder that bodybuilders and people that are really into working out and bulking up take. It's a massive industry and it's actually pretty terrible for your body because those protein powders are not only very cheaply made, they are usually full of sugar. Again, there's a balance between insulin, between carbohydrates, and protein. And that's got to be kind of fit into what you want to accomplish into your personalized goals for, let's say, fitness. Uh, and when you don't have that, then it can be taxing on the body let's say, after a workout. And been there, done that. I used to buy kilos of protein powders, just pounds and pounds of the stuff, and take protein pre-workout, post-workout, before I went to bed, right, to try to meet all my protein needs when I was bodybuilding. And the powders are, they're crap, honestly. They're really bad. They're, like I said, very, very cheaply made. There is zero consideration 
put into formulating really, really high quality protein powders. They're used, they're basically just used from kind of industrial milk production. And it's rough. You know, whey protein versus casein is a pretty popular debate in the bodybuilding world. Really, it has to do with a different amino acid profile in the protein. Casein is generally considered to be slower absorbing into your body. So people will take that before bed and let it absorb over, you know, the eight hours, let's say, of sleep, whereas whey absorbs faster because of its, its different amino acid profile. So casein has things like histidine, phenylalanine, which we've talked about. So remember, phenylalanine is a precursor to tyrosine, which breaks down to L-DOPA, which is a neurotransmitter in the form of dopamine. And it also promotes epinephrine and nor norepinephrine. It typically will build a little bit more body mass faster than whey. Again, because your muscles need time to recover and the breakdown and release is just slower. And so a lot of people will stack the two different proteins. So they'll take, let's say, whey before a workout and then casein post-workout. And it becomes a monotonous kind of task of taking both different protein powders you know, multiple times a day. Um, one way to just throw that aside completely is to just take colostrum powder. Colostrum powder has not only a great amino acid ratio, so a great protein ratio to fat ratio, but it also has growth hormone. If you're somebody listening and still are kind of caught up on the casein and whey protein powders, scrap them and switch to colostrum because it's going to be way better. And it's restorative to the gut instead of detrimental. It can be really hard on your GI to digest protein isolate forms because it's it just kind of goes straight into the GI and it doesn't need a whole lot of breakdown because it's in an isolated form, um, whereas colostrum needs to be broken down and utilized more than some isolate protein, such as casein and whey. And don't get me started on pea protein or hemp protein. Typically, the amino acid profile is pretty deficient in those plant-based proteins. They will kind of enhance it with synthetic amino acids sometimes. You want to talk about it being rough on the GI tract? It's rough on the GI tract, and they usually taste terrible. So if you're vegetarian or vegan and you have to do it, go ahead and do it. But if you're somebody who consumes animal products, seriously, just use colostrum because it has growth hormone, it has protein, it has very little milk sugars, so it has hardly any lactose. So if you're lactose intolerant, typically you can deal with it. And it's great for your immune system. It has immunoglobulins. Again, breaking down musculature can weaken the immune system. So if you have a powder that can cover all of your needs and restore the musculature and build the immune system, you don't have to worry about a lot of other things. You can just take that and it'll support whatever you're doing because it'll restore the body. That's kind of my top tip for a protein-like powder if you're used to doing that.
I mean, it does kind of remind me of taking protein powders when I get a big jug of colostrum in, but it's actually healthy. It's a proper food instead of some reductionist isolate form of what used to be milk or peas or hemp. Anytime you can get a food that is minimally processed, that is a real actual food and not some weird reductionist derivative of a food, use that. Colostrum literally is just spray dried. That's the only difference. And you can buy fresh colostrum if you want, but it's not messed with. You're not changing it chemically to get into into a powder form. You're just drying it. So that is probably the best thing you can do for your body. I want to move on and talk about your anabolic versus catabolic window that your muscle and tissue use for regeneration and repair. So anabolic is the rebuilding of musculature. So when you work out, when you exercise, you break down your muscles. You form these little tiny micro tears in your muscle. That's called a catabolic state or catabolism. That also happens in forms of starvation. So if you don't have enough calories, your body will start to deteriorate your muscles. It will denature the proteins to pull amino acids out of the muscles to have the cells function because cells need amino acids and proteins. So your body will utilize muscle if you don't have enough glycogen stores and sugars and fat to kind of get you through the day, it will break down muscle. The best time to kind of restore musculature is actually when you're asleep. So your anabolic window is the most heightened when you're asleep, when your nervous system and metabolism has slowed down a bit because you don't metabolize extremely well when you're sleeping. You're not digesting an extreme amount in actual sleep, in deep sleep. That anabolic window tends to kind of open up in deep sleep. That's when you get a lot of tissue repair, not only in the musculature, but in your organs, you know, liver, kidneys, heart, brain. All of those tissues need time to repair and to recycle as you enter into a deep sleep. And they're all on their own clocks. So your liver starts to kind of recycle most of its old dead dying cells at about two to four o'clock in the morning. It's a kind of a two four liver dump. Um, heart is on a completely different schedule. Brain on a different schedule. But you need a good eight, nine hours of sleep to make sure you're getting all those different types of tissue repair. That's why they recommend, you know, roughly seven to nine hours of sleep because you need that long window of deep sleep for different tissues to repair at different times. It doesn't happen all at once and it doesn't happen very efficiently throughout the day because you need a relaxed nervous system. The brain needs to be kind of shut down, essentially. You need to be in a deep parasympathetic nervous state for those repairs to happen. And that's why you feel so weird and your body starts to hurt or your immune system gets run down if you don't sleep. You get sick, you get injured. Uh, it happens all the time. And I'm sure if you guys have ever stayed up for prolonged periods of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah, important to keep in mind. And protein is kind of at the forefront of all that. You need a good amount of protein to encourage that tissue turnover and that repair. And sleep is primarily when that happens. Oh, here's another kind of tip for you. If you're sick, if you have a, a cold or some type of virus, extra protein is very, very important because your body is going to be utilizing that because it's turning a lot of stuff over. The immune systems are ramped up. Protein is crucial for an enhanced 
immune system. And when you're sick, you're going to need higher protein. So basically, when you're sick, you want to focus on two things, sleep and protein, and then antioxidants. So really, three things, I guess. Sleep, protein, antioxidants. And if you can hit those and hit them hard, then a lot of times the duration of, let's say, your cold will be significantly shortened. And it's really just because you have a lot of breakdown. You have a lot of cellular breakdown that needs repairing. It's just breakdown and repair. Protein also, though, has major impacts on the different enzymes that are released, different cofactors that are needed for metabolism in your body, and mitochondria, like I said before, and energy production, but also in your microbiome and what's created there. So, I mean, I mentioned, you know, dopamine and norepinephrine and epinephrine being converted from amino acids. So, all of that is a metabolite breakdown in the microbiome. So if the microbiome's altered, if you have gut permeability or some type of intestinal issue like Crohn's or, you know, something like that, where essentially bacteria is leaking out of the gut into other tissues, into the abdominal cavity, and it goes through the bloodstream and it can wreak some havoc. The neurotransmitters will be altered a bit. Hormone production will be altered. So these things are very, very crucial to kind of optimizing health. The relationship between insulin and protein and how it kind of regulates energy production is one that is still being studied and not extremely clear. I'll do my best to kind of outline it a bit for you. So insulin, as you know, is just what is released by the pancreas to utilize sugar that's taken in, the carbohydrate that's taken in, into your bloodstream. Now, some of it gets stored in the muscle as glycogen. Other forms get stored in the liver and then utilized for energy. It's the first energy utilized by the body. And then muscle breakdown is used. And then fat is the last thing used. So in a catabolic phase, you burn through your glycogen stores pretty quickly. And then muscle breakdown after that. And then eventually, you essentially fall into ketosis and fat breakdown gets utilized. But it's the relationship between insulin and protein that becomes pretty interesting because you have insulin insensitivity, such as type 2 diabetes. So if the pancreas isn't sensitive to release insulin when you have high blood sugar, then it's really hard to develop good musculature. And your energy production, your ATP production is and mitochondrial production is compromised. And increasing protein doesn't actually seem to help. Whereas if you're insulin sensitive, if your pancreas works well and utilizes those enzymes that are broken down from protein to release insulin into the bloodstream when it's needed, then it actually will help you build musculature. Episode 29, I talked about the skeleton and bone and how bone is really an endocrine organ, and also how it releases testosterone and these different kind of growth hormones and factors that are needed to build musculature. So protein plays a role in bone health as well. So you need protein for the marrow and for structures of the bone, which is how it's also linked in with the immune system. So you have multiple, again, multiple systems all interacting with this grouping of amino acids that fold together to make proteins. Really, it's kind of all about proteins and how they're utilized and then broken down. That honestly is kind of what is going on. It's a very constant theme throughout your physiology and your anatomy of your body and how it utilizes this one particular nutrient. The other nice thing about protein is it really is a high satiety food. 
So you stay full for hours and hours if you have kind of a heavy protein meal. Same thing with fat. So anytime you can mix high protein and kind of high fat, you are eating a very, very nutrient dense meal that's going to take a long time for your body to kind of process through, right? It's going to limit snacking and things like that because you're going to be full, right? Any type of food that takes a long time to break down, that's what makes you feel full. That's why fiber makes you feel full because that's a food that needs to be slowly fermented in your GI tract and it takes a long time to break down and it fills you up. It bulks, literally bulks your GI tract up. So protein and fat, since they're so calorically dense, remember it has four kilocalories per gram, whereas fat has nine kilocalories per gram. Per gram. So if you combine those two together in a meal, that's a lot of digestion and breakdown happening. And the types of protein, that's when things get interesting. Because remember, proteins are just combinations of amino acids. So high plant proteins, typically you're looking at legumes or as a fantastic example of high protein, right? So beans, nuts are another high protein plant food. And they, again, they also contain a lot of fiber. So it's going to fill you up, but it also can be pretty heavy on the GI tract as well, right? So think about if you ate, you know, half of a pound of almonds, think about what that would do to you. I mean, I can speak from experience. I did that once in high school. I lived on an almond orchard and uh, I would eat a lot of almonds and it can be rough. You would be in the bathroom for a long time because it's such high fiber amounts of food mixed in with a lot of protein that has a very, very specific amino acid profile to them. So it can be hard on the GI tract because it only can break down that combination of specific amino acids for that food. So it's just hard on your GI tract. So again, you don't want to just focus on solely protein. I mean, you think about like a bodybuilder's diet, right? What are they eating? They're eating skinless chicken breast and broccoli. They're just trying to cram protein in. But a lot of times you can get imbalances in the amino acid profile and it can actually be a hindrance to muscle development. So the skinless chicken breast with broccoli and maybe some brown rice, it actually isn't that great of a nutrient-dense diet for trying to build muscle. There's a lot better things to build muscle with. I mean, it's easy. It's kind of thoughtless, right? You just batch cook a ton of chicken breast and broccoli and rice and you throw it all together and, you know, there's your meals for the week or whatever it is. And that's why people really do it. It's not because it's some fantastic diet to be on when you're trying to pack on a bunch of muscle. It's just easy. And it kind of covers your very, very basics. But if you do that for years and years and years, it becomes a burden on your body and on your overall development. So all this to be said, the difference in amino acid profiles will make your body break down and react to the different proteins differently. So quinoa is another great example. Quinoa is almost complete in its amino acid profile for what would be considered a complete protein food, kind of quote-unquote. Um, but it's not quite there. The ratio is slightly off. And so, really, you're looking at mostly animal foods. There are some plant combinations you can put together that form it. But again, high fiber, unless your GI tract is really good and you can take a lot of fermentation in the GI, then people can struggle with it. 
at least long term. And I think that's where a lot of vegans end up with nutrient deficiencies 10, 15, 20 years in. It's because it just kind of beats the GI tract up a little bit and you get some permeability and then you get, you know, some deficiencies. It's not even the fact that the diet is extremely deficient because a lot of vegans are very conscious about getting all of their macronutrient needs. But sometimes the enzymatic breakdown from the gut is compromised from just years and years of heavy plant material and fiber being fermented in the gut. It's not that they're not getting the stuff in the body. They are. It's just not getting utilized. And that happens a lot. So it's an important thing to keep in mind that the type of proteins you're getting in and the type of breakdown from protein to amino acid, it becomes very, very important. That's why it's good to mix different types of meats because you get different ratios and different amino acids. So conscious omnivory is really, again, what we're talking about here, right? Again, keeping a five kingdom approach to nutrition. You're getting plant, animal, fungi, bacteria, and protist. So steak one day with some vegetables, salmon the next with some maybe seaweeds, right? You're covering all aspects of life. And that's going to feed not only your microbiome, but it's going to feed all of your tissues and can, it's going to keep everything regulated and ensure that you have proper amino acid profiles in your tissues for breakdown and repair. That's the difference. That's why people go off of fad diets because it doesn't feel good after a while. They stop losing weight, right? Sometimes you feel a little bloated, whatever it is, you know, it just doesn't feel good because the amino acid profile and utilization is off. It's not varied enough to stick with it long term. And people intrinsically know that something isn't quite right. And so they just slip back into their old habits. You know, again, keeping a wide variation and balance of the five kingdoms of life is going to ensure that you have all your needs met. And you don't have to think about this stuff anymore. You know, it gets very myopic if you're just thinking about, you know, proteins, carbs, fats. And, and trying to get all those balances right. You know, it can work, but generally you're not going to stick with it for a lifetime. You know, most bodybuilders don't stick with that diet for a lifetime. They may do it through their prime, through their 20s and 30s. But have you ever seen, you know, a bodybuilder who started in his 20s and is now 70? You know, not many go that long with keeping that strict of a diet. So, you know, again, important to keep in mind that protein varies. Protein isn't protein. Protein is a chain of different amino acids folded up together. I think most of the population, when they think of protein, they think of meat or animal foods. You know, if you're into plant foods, you probably think of beans, you know, garbanzo beans, black beans, right? Garbanzo beans are used a ton in vegan cooking. It's a high protein bean, but it also has a ton of fiber in a very narrow amino acid profile compared to something like a grass-fed steak. Combined together, they're fantastic. Each on their own, you're going to end up with some deficiencies. Are you with me? You see what I'm getting at there? So be careful. Be mindful of the types of amino acids that you're getting in, the types of protein that are linked together. I mean, you don't have to memorize right, the amino acids in a steak. And they're going to change, honestly. It changes based on the diet 
of the cow. So a factory farmed cow, that amino acid profile for that meat, for his muscle, is going to be very different than the grass-fed cow because grass and grain have very different amino acid profiles, very different protein contents, right? Grain is very, very high in protein, whereas grasses in that state aren't. So like something like alfalfa is a high-protein grass, whereas hay doesn't have much crude protein in it. So depending on what the cows are feeding on, even grass-fed cows will vary in their amino acid profile for the meat. Typically, grass-fed, grass-finished cows are going to have a broader suite of amino acids because they're going to be eating different types of grass, and that bulks up their diet, right? So, again, it depends on what the animals are doing as well that you're consuming or what the plants are consuming that you're eating. We're back again to genetics of species that you're consuming are going to alter your genetics. Your amino acid profile that your cells use, that your epigenome uses to build proteins out of. This is just a big circle that I've talked in. Around and around we go. This is just one aspect to everything that I've covered. But it's an important one because this protein and amino acids kind of form the backbone of cellular health and metabolic function. But it helps to actually know what they are and why you need to be getting different varieties and different ratios in your diet to begin with. Because protein isn't, protein doesn't equal meat or beans. It just equals a combination of amino acids. That's it. So I hope that this cleared out some protein kind of myths and misnomers. Uh, it can be a tricky one because there's a lot of kind of pop culture things surrounding this macronutrient we call protein um, that I think need to be parsed through a bit. Oh, and then kind of before I wrap up, protein needs per day. So an adult male, generally you're looking at about 56 grams of protein per day. That's for kind of a sedentary person. A woman, you're looking at about 46 grams a day. Those are general guidelines. It obviously depends, again, what type of protein you're getting in, where you're getting it from, and your lifestyle. If you're an ultra marathoner, I mean, you're going to need a hell of a lot more protein than 56 or 46 grams per day. You know, if you're exercising heavily, you're going to need, your needs fluctuate drastically. And there's a little bit of controversy surrounding how much you can actually absorb in, let's say, one meal, how much your body can actually utilize. They do that test because any excess protein you have that wasn't heavily utilized comes out as nitrogen in your urine. And they'll measure your urine for nitrogen content to see how much excess protein was free circulating in your blood. And that's why it can be so taxing on the kidneys because you can bind up a lot of nitrogen in there and you have to end up excreting it through urine. So generally, you're looking at about 35 grams or so of maximum absorption per meal. Now, again, if that's post-workout, you can probably take a little bit more. If you're sedentary, you're not going to be taking that much. So depends on the person. I can't really give you a firm guideline on that. Um, but just do what feels good. You know, uh, if you're working out a lot, you can tell by usually some excess muscle soreness. If you're getting good, adequate protein needs, 
um, typically you're not going to end up being extremely sore unless you're doing something brand new. But if you kind of indoor workout routine and your body's adapted to it a bit um, and you're getting good protein needs, typically you're not going to be extremely sore unless you're, you know, getting some injury and stuff and maybe you need to slow down. But that's a bit different. So, yeah, just you're going to have to just kind of judge it. But a loose guideline would be about 56 grams a day, something like that. You could probably jump it up to 60 or 65 per day and be just fine. I mean, you're not going to have any detrimental effects with that. So again, thank you for listening to another episode. I really do appreciate it. And I really appreciate your support. And I will talk to you guys next week. Stay well, stay healthy, get outside. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to talk to me personally, go to ancestralelements.com slash community to get access to the forum. We go through each episode every week and talk about these concepts and ideas in greater detail, and you can connect with other listeners. 